Welcome to the Living Stones podcast. These are a recording of our Sunday morning meetings. We pray that these will be a blessing to you. So please, enjoy listening. If you want to know more, please contact us at office at livingstoneschurch.co.uk. Good morning, church. Please do take a seat, get your glasses filled. Oh, that was almost instant uh, reaction. Excellent. <laughs> That's never happened before, did it, has it? It must be my authority. No, it's not that. Good morning. Welcome. You're welcome this morning, friends, visitors and family. My name's Kaz. I'm just cleaning my glasses with one hand. There we go. Done that. Um, I'm on the leadership team at Living Stones here with Rob. And it's lovely to welcome you here this morning on this beautiful day. It's absolutely gorgeous. Just to run through what we'll be doing this morning. Um, Ellie will be taking us through a time of worship with her extremely glamorous backing singers. I might be biased, but they're very good. Um, Followed by our family time. Ellie again. Um, (laughs) uh, Then uh, we will have our children's communion where the children are welcome to come up with their families and take communion before we have a break. Uh, And then Martin will take us through our communion for adults after that. Um, Just to say that we have our final lunch today. So if you're able to stay for lunch, you're very welcome, Shannon and Bobby. Um, You're very welcome to stay. We know that it's a really nice time to spend together just after the service, just talking through all the things that are happening in our lives. It's great. Um, and I think that's it for now. So I'm just going to, I feel really excited this morning. I've got a sort of bubbling up of energy. Um, I've been having these conversations all week with people. Carrie is one of the people I speak to regularly each week. And there's a lot happening in our town. There's lots of little stories I'm hearing about pockets of God work happening everywhere. And it's really exciting. And I was viewing it through the lens of what Paul talked about last week. Not um, St. Paul, our very own St. Paul. Um, He's not here, so he can't tell me off of that. Uh, Talking about running a race of endurance. I won't bang on about running because you know that I I do that. Um, But we might be at that point in that race where it's become more of a mental challenge. You know, it's really hard to keep going and you have to sort of talk yourself into it a lot. And it's, it's really hard. So I want to encourage you, if you're at that point in the race this morning where the energy is flagging, the mental game is a little bit down, be encouraged. Be encouraged because Jesus has set out the course. You know where you're going because you have to follow God. He set the course out, as we heard last week. And, the w- uh, and he's won the race. He's done it. We just have to follow him and just keep our eyes open for what's happening in town and in our community. Um, please be encouraged this morning. Uh, I'm just going to open in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your kingdom work. It's happening in little pockets, in big things, in tiny things, in conversations, in our hearts, in our churches, in our communities. Father, we lift this family of God to you this morning, your family. Lord, Justin said something about the, the... how we've been family for centuries. You know, the church has been a church family for so long, Lord, that that weight of history is on us, Father God. Please bless us this morning as we hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ellie. Morning, everyone. Um, We are going to sing a few worship songs together. Um, If you want to pray out in between them, feel free. If you want to bring Bible verses, feel free. uh, I haven't picked, the, the, often I think of a theme, I haven't got one this morning, <laughs> I just picked three really good uh, worship songs with amazing lyrics, so uh, uh, so that we can just give God the glory this morning, um, and say thank you to him. So let's stand and we'll sing our first song, which is, I Stand Amazed in the Presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Okay, so here's the animal we're doing today. You got it. Uh, and um, yeah, well, who can remember some of the animals? Can anyone remember where? What have we done so far? Donkey, fish, sheep. Di- we did. We did the behemoth and the leviathan. The what? What? Sorry, Jeanette. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We didn't do birds specifically, did we? We did, we did the eagle. Dogs, yeah. 
the dove. Did we do the dove? Ah, we did do the dove. I think that was, was that you, mum? There's, oh, the seagulls, just like, shut up. <laughs> I'm trying to do a talk here. Right, so yes, today is the pig. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, so uh, just for fun, um, and you, try and you, could, you can try, if you like, to make a link to my talk through this game. Uh, I couldn't, I just thought, so I just thought, oh well, we'll just do it anyway with, for a bit of fun. So we're gonna play, do you remember Beetle, Beetle Drives? We're gonna play, do a pig drive. <laughs> um, so you have got a dice on your table, and you have to take it in turns on your table to roll the dice. And then um, uh, the first, so you just roll once and then pass the dice to the next person. And the aim is to, when you get a number one, you can draw the body. When you get a number two, you can draw the legs. Then three is the head plus the eyes. And then Four is that you have to do it in order, yeah. So you can't you can't draw the ears before you've done all the rest, can you, Jeanette? So you they have to be in order. So the person that rolls the number, the next number, is the one that gets to do the drawing. And then hold on, I haven't said start yet. Because the, what's the point of it? Other other than it's like whichever is the table that shouts pig because they've created a pig you're the winners all right so I'll just hold your horses is, is there any questions does everyone understand it must go in order so take turns throwing the dice if you get a one you get to draw the body then you're you then you've got to do a two you still you've started again already well done this table well done you you win the prize for listening to instructions. So uh, go on, off you go, because the rest of them have started. We have a, we have a winning team. Please, please stop. So we have one pig. Very nicely drawn there, Evie, well done. Okay, should we, should we go again? So start again. We'll do another round. Let's see if we can get a different winner this time. One more game. Ready, steady, go. I got it. And we have another winning team. Well done to the Borough team. Good work, good work. Let's see your pig, Amelia. Who drew that? Was that a mixture or was it all you? Very good, there's, our, there's Amelia's pig. Well done. No, so, so maybe we can keep this and then later when the service is finished, we, we'll have another go. <laughs> it's fun. Okay, uh, so the pig, if I could have the next slide, Justin. Here's my happy pig. Um, so just a couple of pig facts before I link it to the Bible. Um, mud is important for pigs because apparently they don't have sweat glands. So they do have to cool down by rolling in mud. That's how they get cool. They, they don't have um, very thick fur either. I know some pigs have more than others. but um, So yeah, so they have to, um, and it also stops them getting sunburnt as well, um, the mud. So that's why pigs are mucky. Um, pigs will eat anything. Uh, we sort of kind of know that about pigs, don't we? That they're the sort of animal that eats everything. But then you think, oh, is that a myth? Will they eat absolutely everything? And yes, they absolutely will, except maybe rocks. Um, I don't think they eat rocks, but anything that resembles food, anything at all, their stomachs can digest. They even eat their own poop if there isn't any other food available, and they quite happily eat it. They choose. They 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 don't seem to. Um, they they will choose more tasty food over the poop. Apparently, experiments have been done, but they will eat their own poop. Sausages, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> I think they probably would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but they are also thought to be the fifth most intelligent animal um, on the planet, which is uh, quite incredible. And they can be trained more easily than you can train a dog because they're so intelligent. 
Um, they're also very social. They get depressed and unhappy, and they don't, and they will not behave right if they are not uh, with other pigs. They like to be with others. They're social. Okay, so that was some piggy facts. Now, uh, pigs in the Bible. Who can? Who knows any stories with pigs in in the Bible? You remember one? The son that walked away or something? Yeah, like the, the, that's called the prodigal son. Well done, yeah. So he, the prodigal son left his home, didn't he, with all his father's inheritance, shaming the family, um, and uh, he went off into another land and he ended up working in a pigsty, didn't he? Yes. Any, any other stories you can remember, Tay? I think some pigs fell off a cliff. Some pigs did fall off a cliff, yeah. That's the other one I could think of as well. Uh, yeah, so Jesus um, was in a land and he came across um, some, well, actually one gospel says two men and the other gospels say one man, but they all talk about the story. Um, and they, had, um, they were demon-possessed and Jesus cast out the demons, but the demons begged, don't cast us out, like let us go into those pigs instead. Um, and um, Jesus did. Oh, it's the weirdest story. And actually, I did do some research on this. It would make a really good adult talk. But I can't, I'm not going to go into the detail of it today. Um, so, yes, and then the pigs all ran off the cliff and um, perished. And so the demons didn't really get what they wanted. They still got completely destroyed. Um, so, yes, that's right. That, they, they, that was um, a pig story. Um, any, anything else about pigs that you know in the Bible? Faye. Oh, you're there. There you are. I was just trying to look for you, pointing that way. Where's Faye? There she is. Casting pearls with, casting pearls with swines. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, so uh, like a proverb. That Was that, uh, is that in the, I don't know where that is in the Bible. But, but yes, that's right. You, uh, you wouldn't... Yeah, that's right, because a, a, pig, a pig doesn't appreciate a pearl. So don't give pigs pearls. Claire knows something. <laughs> Only one thing. Uh, pigs are unclean, and uh, Jew Jewish people don't eat them. Couldn't use them as sacrifice. Excellent. Yes, you're, uh, you're absolutely right. And that's actually what I'm going to hook my thought on today. Um, so the first kind of mention of pigs in the Bible is actually what Claire mentioned about how one of the Le Levitical laws. So um, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, and then from that there were also some rules around how he wanted to, how he wanted his people to live. And as part of that, he gave some animals which he said were unclean. And this is another thing which I went down a path of um, research and it was fascinating what the word unclean means and how again an adult taught one day <laughs> um, but the pig was considered I'm going to go back to my notes now um, unclean um, in uh, in for, for Jews so before Jesus came um, uh, God's special people that he had gathered together um, and he gave them a, a land to live in. He told them that there were certain animals they couldn't eat and the pig was one of those. So I had a little bit of a think about why that might be um, because I, do, I don't think God kind of makes rules for no reason whatsoever. Um, so actually, um, if you think about it, no animal is unclean really until it's dead. So God didn't kind of say that living pigs were unclean it was the uh, just like um the don't don't kill a pig and eat the pig um i don't think he said that you shouldn't keep pigs but i don't know why you would keep pigs if you're not going to kill them and eat them so um I that was just a thought i had um so he didn't say you can't touch pigs he just said you can't don't eat don't eat the meat of pigs um and he doesn't give, re God doesn't give reasons why in the Bible at all. He just says, um, just lists the pig as, as being one that's unclean. And um, uh, one, of w one theory is that it was because desert life, so um, when, the, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and out of slavery, they were wandering in the wilderness um, for 40 years. Um, and pigs aren't going to enjoy that because they need, they need more water than other farm animals. We've, you can see that. Clearly, they'll get sunburned. Um, they need to cover their s skin with with the mud and um, uh, 
and also um so yeah the, uh they were they're not great for nomadic life like cows are that kind of herd and sheep and things um but also their meat um, is less clean to eat. We do have to make sure, don't we, that we cook pork properly before we eat it. And that is to do with the fact that they will eat anything. Um, so their meat is m much more full of bacteria and viruses that can make us ill if we eat it. So I would think God knew this as well. Um, and, you know, um, it's a bit more of a hassle to cook pork. Also, God wanted his people to be set apart from the rest of the world. He wanted them to treat all things with respect and have hearts for others and not for themselves. Uh, the rest of the world just ate and drank whatever they wanted. They were gluttonous. Um, they, uh, and, and they didn't have any scruples about killing and eating anything. And I think God wanted to set it apart his people. Um, and I think by, by saying um, that some of these animals are unclean to eat, they're not good for you to eat, was, was part of that, was part of saying, actually, you lot, are, you lot are different. You think more about um, animals suffering or you think more about um, you know, what you're putting into your bodies. You're more careful. Um, and we look after things more. I, th I feel like the, the, the uncleanness laws were also about that, about setting them apart as different from the rest of the world. More caring. But the uncleanness of pigs, I think, went a bit over the top. And then in Jesus' day, um, you're right, Jewish people wouldn't even keep pigs and they wouldn't have them anywhere near them. So the stories that you remembered, the one about the prodigal son, where he, uh, um, that's, it, it shows that actually then he got, uh, the, the, the lad went to a completely different country um, that wasn't a Jewish nation, otherwise there wouldn't have been pigs there. So he had, he had walked the entirely away from all the faith of his family, um, and the fact that there are pigs shows that. And also the same of uh, the story of the swine that run off the hill. Jesus was in a Gentile area. Um, I, don't think, I don't know if it specifically says that, but because there are pigs, we, it must have been, because Jews didn't keep, didn't keep pigs. So that area was totally not um, uh, Jewish um, and believing in the, the one God. So that kind of links that it helps you understand that story a bit better, I think. Okay. Final point. Jesus actually put the Jews right about uncleanness. They had made it like uh, literally eating the meat of a pig would defile your body and make you, I don't know, wrong. Um, and and Jesus was saying that is not that is not what that rule meant at all. Um, and he said in Mark 7, verse 15, it is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out from your heart. Um, and so I want us to think of the pig as a symbol of remembering that unclean means what your heart condition is like. Is it for others? Or is it for yourself? And that's, that's basically it. Is your heart all about pleasing yourself, doing what you want to do? Or actually is it, no, my heart is for God and for others. And it's as simple as that. And if it's for yourself, you are unclean. And you need to be cleansed of that. And if it's for others, then it has been made clean by Jesus. Um, when you see a pig, think about your heart next time. Okay, amen. I didn't want to... Yeah, there's so much. Oh, my goodness, there was so much. <laughs> I think I've done well to condense it. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you that, you that you're logical and you make sense and you didn't make rules for, for, for no reason at all. Um, and you, you had a purpose. And we can trust your purposes, that your purposes are good. Um, and so we thank you for the picture of... Um, uh, of the the unclean pig being um, 
a picture of our heart. How how are we? What do you, what do you want our hearts to be? So, Father, I pray that we all give our hearts um, to your care this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. I've got you down for two adult talks. Is that right? <laughs> I counted them. Yeah, don't volunteer. Never volunteer. That's what my granddad said. Never volunteer for anything. Um, right, bef- just before we go into a time of communion with our children. Um, I want, it was someone's birthday, and he's looking at me, and I'm going to ask Tay, would you like to come up so I can give you this card, and Rob, can you come up, Rob is um, Tay's prayer warrior, every child in our church is assigned an adult who um, prays for them, so I'm going to ask, Ellie's going to start us singing happy birthday, one, two, three, happy birthday to Tay, how old? Yeah, kind of applause. Tay, how old? How old did you turn? Eleven. Eleven, which means that you're going up to senior school in September, aren't you? Where are you going? East School Academy. Oh, oh Rob, Rob's an alumni of East School Academy. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you. Heavenly Father, thank you for Tay. Lord, thank you for all you're doing, all you've done in his life so far. Lord, thank you that when you called him, he came. And Lord, that he's been on this journey with us together uh, ever since then. And Lord, as he uh, spends this summer preparing to uh, go on to secondary school, Lord, I pray he'll prepare his heart, prepare his mind. Lord, would he walk into that school bold, knowing that he has the love of a saviour with him. Lord, would he be a, a, a... Someone who stands up for Christ in his school, would he be bold and confident in that? And Lord, uh, you know he took a tumble yesterday, you know he's got a bump on his head. Lord, I pray for um, for fast healing for that. And Lord, I pray you'll keep him safe um, all the way through to church camp, where I know he's looking forward to mornings of teaching and afternoons of football. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're just giving Tay a booklet as well, which we give to all our kids who are moving up to senior school, which is sort of like a guide of how to get through senior school in that first few, those first few weeks and months. Um, I'm just going to ask Rob to come and help me move the table over. Um, oh, thank you, Rich and Rob. And I'll just, uh, visitors, you're very welcome to bring your children up to the front to take, com- um, they will take communion under your supervision. It's entirely up to you whether you do that or not. Um, children, I just wanted to read something from the Bible for you. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the seagulls. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn and God feeds them. So do we. And how much more valuable are you than seagulls? really valuable. You're so much more valuable than seagulls. If God can create those and keep them alive, he wants much, much more for you in your life. So I'm going to ask you children uh, to come up with your, with your grown-ups now and take communion. Just before the children leave, we have our offering that we take uh, for the children we support. There they are. Um, If you have any donations, children, please go ahead and do that now. Please don't feel under any obligation, visitors, at all. I'm going to pass this around as well. This is the adult collection. And I'm going to pray for our children. Father God, thank you that you love our children so much, so much more than we could. You're the perfect example of a father. I, ble- I pray that you bless them this morning as they, as they go with Justin and learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Children, please feel free to go with Justin. We'll take a very quick break because we're going to hear from uh, Rich and Alex in a minute about something very exciting, which I'm sure we'll see on the screen in a minute. And then we'll go into another time of communion. So a five-minute break. Right, I'm going to ask Rich and Alex to, to come up. They're going to talk to us about, guess what, 3, 2, 1. And explain a bit about it. Just me for now. Good morning, everyone. 
So exciting news, 321 is back. Hey! Uh, 321 is our introduction to Christianity course. Um, we ran it for the first time last year. Um, previously, we'd run Alpha, and we think Alpha is brilliant. Uh, we've run it in our church for many years. Um, but uh, we changed to 321 last year um, for a few reasons, one of them being that it's short. And who doesn't like short? Um, 321 is uh, four weeks, um, one evening a week for four weeks. Um, we bolt on a kind of social week at the end, um, but basically it's a, a shorter course, um, and that's great for Alex and I and those within the church that help us lead it, but it's also obviously much less of a commitment for those who want to sign up. So um, it's going to start in September. We don't know exactly when. Um, we will hopefully find that out this week, and then we will start circulating the information. Um, but we think it's a brilliant course. Last year, we had um, quite a few people um, that came and did it and have since um, taken steps along their journey of faith in various ways. Um, but uh, it's all very well for me to say it's brilliant. Of course, I'd say it's brilliant. Um, but we're actually going to hear from somebody else now, um, and they will tell you a little bit more about what it's like from the perspective of somebody doing it. Uh, who's not part of the church, or wasn't. It's not me, but I'm going to go and I'm going to sit over here with our friend Chrissy. Um, some of you will recognise Chrissy. She's been to our church a few times, um, and Chrissy has kindly agreed to tell us a bit about her experience of being on 321. So Chrissy, tell us, how did you get to hear about 321? How did you end up on the course? Well, it was through my daughter, really, because she's a friend of yours, isn't she? And uh, she'd heard about this course, and she knows that I like doing these little study groups. And she said, would I be interested? And I, I said, yeah, of course I would, you know. Um, so that's how I heard about it, and I came along on the Tuesday night. Was it a Tuesday night? Yeah. So I invited my friend Claire, and she said, nah, I'm not coming, but my mum will come. Um, <laughs> So Chrissy was really brave, and you came on your own, didn't you, that first night? What was it like when you arrived here at Community Wise for that first night? Um, it was very easy to walk in, you know. I just I, I didn't feel self-conscious, and that, and that I'd, because I'd done previous little courses like the Alpha course, you know. It, I, can I read something out of this? You know, because this is what I was hoping to get from it. It says, this is the book that I was given, Faith comes from hearing. Surround yourself with God's people and listen to God's words. So, I mean, that to me is, is why I came, you know, because I believe that. And, and I happened to find it in the book. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, it, it, it was easy to come on my own, you know, because people immediately that belong to the church already came and uh, they were very kind and friendly and just made it, I felt like I fit in straight away. And Ruth was, the, I think Ruth was one of the first ladies I spoke to. She was lovely. And Faith, and I met Faith and, and Les. And yeah, it was, it was lovely. It was a lovely experience. So that's really encouraging for us to hear as a church. You've got a warm welcome. Um, and then your kind of summary of the course that you've read out of the book there, surrounding yourself with God's people. So that's your experience of being in the course and then hearing from God's, God's word. Um, so you've got the book. I can see it's well-thumbed. I can see you've highlighted bits and, and read. Which Facebook's me. You know, I, I put little notes and if they stand out and speak to me, yeah. I like books. And what about, what about the course itself? Kind of anything you remember from, you know, it's, as Rich said, it's brief. Anything you remember from the discussions or the talks? What, what has stayed with you? Um, well, one thing that really I'd never heard before, I mean, I, I'm a new, newbie really at Christianity. It's only I've been seriously thinking about studying for, for about two years. Although I've always believed in the story of Jesus Christ, I've always known that that was true, you know. Um, uh, but I had little knowledge of scripture. And um, what do I remember? Well, something really stood out for me, and it was that, um, I think it's in the book somewhere, that 
eternity is actually it starts now it's not something that happens once we die you know and i've always thought this and heaven and hell is that in the here and now and i've n- i i've it's something i i believe that because i believe i've been to both places and and i think it's a continuation because you know of course my my age i'm thinking of where i'm going next <laughs> Um, and my health problems, you know, it seems to be like there's some importance in this. I better get on with it. And um, <laughs> and um, and yeah, and that and that that was, it says it somewhere in this book. And I thought, yeah, I believe that. And you know, so it interests me to read more about that. So that stood out for me. Um, yeah, and. Um, just the general discussions after the group, I really enjoyed them, you know, to get other people's perspective on things was fascinating, really. You know, um, and there, were p- uh, p- there was people at different levels of their faith, and, um, you know, it, it, was, um, it was good. That's great. So um, we, we watched short videos, two short videos from yeah. Glenn Scrivener, and then we break, broke up, didn't we, into our small groups and had those discussions, and... Any question goes, doesn't it? We were able to get to delve that into all that sorts was of things. A good bit as well. You were in the position to ask questions, and and that's that was great, really. You know, to to have that opportunity, because you could ask anything you wanted, and it was answered. Yeah. Um. So three, two, one ended, um, and then we continued, didn't we? During our Sunday services, a group of us used to step out and we started reading John's Gospel together brought that to a close at Easter. So where are you now? Are you thinking, I'm going to go to th- on 3 to one in September, or wh- whereabouts are you? And I know you've done another course since, so where are you on your faith journey? Yeah, I'm, st- I'm still um, on the path, really. You know, I'm still um, studying. Um, where it's left me is it's given me a thirst to know more, you know, um, definitely. Um, every day I read something and if there's any little courses popping up in Eastbourne I'll be there you know I want to know I want to know more Um, yeah it's great and for us personally getting to know Chrissy and journeying with her has been so rewarding because you you could kind of hear pennies dropping um, and just yes your your hunger for for knowledge and and learning about Jesus has been so lovely for us Um, so thank you for sharing with us Um, a final thing if there was anyone who was thinking about going on the course or thinking about inviting someone on the course, what, what would you say to them today? I'd say, come along, give it a try, you know, because it's a very pleasant uh, evening, you know. It's only, what, an hour and a half or something like that. You get a cup of tea and a nice piece of cake. You get to chat to other people. And, and, and for me, I was learning. Every week I was learning something. Can I just read this out of the book as well? Um, it just jumped out at me. It says, God is love. The best things in life really are personal, personal connections, meetings of minds and meetings of hearts. And I think that's what happens in, little, in, in, in uh, church. You know, that's what's happened this morning. That's what happened in the group for me, you know. And uh, that sums it up, really. So, you know, better than, st- you know, stuck at home in front of the telly and... Uh, you know, sort of getting brain dead with Netflix. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for sharing that quote because I think what that describes is it's community, isn't it? So even within our short four weeks, we had a real sense of community. Um, I'm smiling at Faye because next time we do this, she's she's going to be on the mic. So um, she's been part of that community too. So thank you so much, Chrissy, for sharing your experience with us and for being with us today. So you heard it here first, folks. It's better than being stuck at home watching telly. Okay. It's only, three, it's only four weeks. It's not a huge commitment. Um, but um, we commit to journeying with whoever comes on the course for as long as is needed. And as uh, Alex alluded, um, we walked with our little group. And at various times, I think everybody that came who wasn't already part of the church joined us um, on a Sunday morning and we studied together and that has been a wonderful legacy of the course that we've continued those relationships okay and it's such a privilege to have Chrissy here and and Faye and Les who have journeyed with us so um, of course this is not just something that Alex and I are doing 
this is something that we are doing as a church and we need the support of the church. Why am I standing here now when it doesn't start till September? That's ages away, right? Um, well, of course, we've got the big summer holidays in between and September is going to be here before we know it. And we're standing here now because it's time to start praying and we really need your support um, to make this course happen and to make it the course that it can be and for the people that God is preparing to come along. So we need you to pray, we need you to pray, and we need you to pray. Please pray for the course. Please pray for the preparation of the course for us as we prepare to lead it, um, for all the publicity materials that we're going to be producing and please pray that those materials, one way or another, will reach the people who are supposed to come and join us on this course. But we know these courses, whether it's 321 or Alpha, the vast, vast majority of people that come on these courses, whose lives are changed, who meet Jesus, come because somebody invited them. Okay, so please pray that God will start speaking to you, will start putting somebody on your heart that you could ask to come on 321. Okay, and pray for the courage to invite them. Pray that they will accept. And we trust that God will bless us. We trust that the people that are supposed to come will come, and we will again have the privilege of building those relationships and sharing Jesus as a church. Thank you. Just before I introduce Martin, can we have a couple of people praying for, uh, for Chrissy and Faye and Les and uh, for the course as well, just in preparation of September? Have you ever started on a course of action or a project or something and you got started and then you think oh my goodness me I have taken on far more than I can actually manage I've bitten off more than I can chew <laughs> I feel like that's standing in front of you today because uh, <coughs> a, a few days ago I, I felt I, I, I know what I want to share this morning and I'm going to pick up this theme and and as I've got into it, I've thought, oh my goodness me, it's a bit like Ellie. I've got about another three things that come out of this. And um, the trouble is I don't have the excuse that this is a children's talk, this is an adult's group. <laughs> so I, I think my feeling is, is that you may go away with as many questions from what I shared this morning as answers, but I hope that something of what I share will help towards the answers. Um, it came out of an item in the news a couple of weeks ago, and you, you may or may not have been aware of it. The Archbishop of York, Stephen Cottrell, said something along these lines, that he thought he created a bit of a stir because he was suggesting that the Lord's Prayer was problematic because it was addressed to our Father. And as I understand it, he was unhappy because people who had had poor or abusive fathers would find it difficult to identify with a God who had revealed himself as father. And also, his problem was that there is a long history in the world of patriarchy. That's the rule of fathers, literally. The rule of men. And he felt that needed to be redressed and that calling God Father only reinforced this idea 
of male dominance. Now, I, I don't know if you've looked at any of the responses that people gave. They generally went along the lines of, who does this 21st century archbishop think he is to correct Jesus? <laughs> he gave us this prayer. And that's a good answer, and we could leave it at that place. I, I sometimes think, now I'm standing here in front of you, I wish I had, that's where I'd left it. <laughs> but I thought, no, I think this needs to be addressed a little bit further. It is a tricky topic to discuss, particularly in today's society. Many have strong feelings about it. And I think I'm taking a bit of a risk, perhaps, by bringing some thoughts, which I hope will help us negotiate the minefield. Now, as this is a communion Sunday, I also hope it will lead us to a place where we can better appreciate the love of our Father God, who sent his Son, his Son into the world and to appreciate more the amazing life and sacrifice of the man, Christ Jesus. And I trust also it will in some way encourage us men sitting here this morning better to find our identity and place in God's purposes. And to say some things which I trust will reassure the women folk here to see that God as Father is not to condone some kind of institutionalized gender oppression. Now, I will seek to base my thoughts on the Bible. Of course, I'm aware that for some people, I trust not in this room, this is the heart of the problem because the Bible is seen as a relic of the past which reinforces this oppressive gender imbalance as it's uh, perceived. Now this I just want to say two things. First, if we abandon the Bible, um, I think it becomes even more problematic and difficult because we're then left to drift in the ever-swirling sea of our culture with no sure absolutes to anchor us. And without these anchor points, we ultimately become a victim of the latest ideology that can seize power and influence in our society. So I think these arguments that go on in our society are more about uh, who holds power than holding the truth. The issue of power uh, is... is at stake here. And in fact, even the concept of truth, I've even heard this, that to speak about truth is now seen as oppressive. <laughs> truth becomes relative in terms of the power it exercises over another body of people. Secondly, I believe actually that properly understood the Bible presents us with an enormously positive view of masculinity, supremely, of course, modelled in Jesus himself. Uh, just one more caution, I will necessarily be using some generalities. There will always be exceptions to generalities. and I just hope we can be wise enough to just un uh, understand that. And if you know me well enough by now. Where do we start? We start in Genesis. We know in chapter 1 of Genesis, both the man and the woman were created in God's image. And when in Chapter 2, the creation of Eve is described in more detailed fa fashion from Adam's rib. 
it's clear that there is a mutual dignity, a mutual imaging of God, and a shared responsibility, male and female, both to reproduce and fill the earth, and also to tend the earth by looking after it, stewarding the creation by extending the beauty and fruitfulness of the Garden of Eden over the face of the entire planet. Now, I would contend that the responsibility was shared. This is where I've got to be a bit careful. But I don't think the responsibility was shared equally. Let me explain. The narrative suggests to me that as Adam was created first and received, he first received directly from God the instructions about looking after creation and so on. And it included the prohibition about the tree that they were not to eat from. And Adam was then responsible to make sure, by extension, that that command was kept. And he sh so he, he got it from God. Adam then shared it with Eve. I suggest that puts greater responsibility on Adam. And that is why when the tempter I think rather cleverly chooses to come to, not to Adam but to Eve in chapter 3, it's profoundly shocking that Adam, who it says was with her, did not intervene and even worse, meekly took the forbidden fruit offered to him by his wife. Come on, Adam. What did you think you were doing? So let's be clear. The Bible says the blame for the ills of this fallen world is placed firmly at the feet of the male of the species. Let's listen to Paul. For in Adam all died. Not Eve. And in fact, there has been some teaching down the way which says, oh, it's all Eve's fault. The Bible doesn't say that. In Romans, Paul says, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In Timothy, he says, Eve was deceived. She thought what she was doing was good. But Adam sinned openly in the full knowledge that it was wrong to eat. And then he had the gall to blame his wife when God challenged him. So we are introduced very early in the scripture to a theme that is recapitulated so often through the rest of the Old Testament. And this theme is the repeated failure of men to take responsibility and give a godly, righteous lead in their families and their tribes and their nations. And there are exceptions, of course. You think of someone like Jer Joseph or Jeremiah or Daniel or Nehemiah or, or Mordecai. Wonderful models of godly manhood. But even the great heroes of the Old Testament are revealed at times with massive clay feet. Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Samuel, David and Solomon and more. And many more are just shown to be brutish tyrants. So what are we to make of all this? Firstly, it may help us to understand why God has chosen predominantly 
to reveal himself as father to the world. Perhaps one can speculate by asking this question. Shall I have a show of hands? Not sure. Here's the question. Speaking generally, would you say that this world lacks godly mothering or godly fathering? Both. Statistically. Fathering. That's the conclusion I've come to, by and large. And of course, please hear what I said about generalities earlier. I would suggest that this world is in dead, desperate need of godly fathering. And to me, it's no surprise that God would choose to reveal himself as father, a good father. And we are called to respond to our father, God, not by seeing him through the lens of our own flawed and failed fathers, but by seeing in him what true fatherhood is. However, we mustn't make the mistake, I'm just put this in brackets really, the Bible is not claiming that God, I'm, I'm conscious here, I'm sitting next, or sitting over here as a PhD in theology. <laughs> so he, he'll, he'll probably critique me later. I don't think the Bible is saying that God is intrinsically male. I'll just read what I got from someone else. Uh, one writer puts it like this. The Bible is clear that God is spirit and as such is not gendered. When we call him father, we do not mean that he is male like human fathers are. Rather, we mean that he relates to us like a father does or should do. Likewise, when the Bible speaks of God as a husband, it doesn't mean that God is male, but that God jealously guards his relationship with his people like a good husband loves and protects his wife. Consider this, it is only when both man and woman are created in Genesis 1 that God is fully imaged. And we must acknowledge this, that the Bible portrays God as having what would be tradi traditionally seen as feminine attributes. Here are just a few ways that God reveals himself in this way. God comforts his people like a mother comforts her child. Isaiah, like a woman would never forget her nursing child, God will not forget his children. Also Isaiah, God is like a mother eagle hovering over her young, Deuteronomy. God cares for his people like a midwife that cares for the child just as she is uh, being delivered in, in the Psalms and in Isaiah. God experiences the fury of a mother bear robbed of her cubs, Hosea. And then Jesus himself longed for the people of Jerusalem like a mother hen longs to gather her chicks under her wings. So firstly, I'm saying, God as Father is important, although he has motherly characteristics. As a father, he has chosen to reveal himself predominantly. Secondly, it then also becomes clear why our Savior, Jesus, was born a boy who grew up into manhood. And I, was, I, I hadn't thought of this before, but I was interested. Sue read Isaiah 9.6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that was a prophetic word of Jesus, about Jesus. 
Jesus perfectly revealed his Father to the world. He who has seen me, said Jesus, has seen the Father. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So what kind of a Father is God? He's like Jesus. Look at Jesus and you've seen the Father. Although in his life on earth, Jesus was not the human father of children. He didn't have a family. Yet in his life, he portrayed all the qualities of a perfect father. Uh, There's a separate thing. It's quite a fruitful study to go through the Gospels and to see when did Jesus act in a fatherly way? Frequently. Yeah, we've been going through Hebrews. In Hebrews 2, it refers to Jesus in this way. It says, Jesus said, uh, it's, it's spoken of Jesus, here I am and the children you have given me. Now, interesting. Jesus is as father to us, his children, also. So when Jesus wanted to spread and share the heart of the Father to the rest of the world, and here's the bit that I've really tried to wrestle with in my own heart and work out. I, I don't know if it's past your notice. I'm a bloke, all right? I've been one for 74 years, okay? And... In those 74 years, I've tried to work out who I am and what I'm here for. Okay? Read a lot of books and got more confused sometimes than others. And I've had to also address the question that I know many people ask. So why did Jesus choose 12 men? to be his disciples. Because he had many women followed him. In fact, the women get a very good press in the Gospels. It's the men <laughs> that get the flack. Why on earth did Jesus choose them? Surely, any sensible person would have chosen it the other way around. <laughs> when Jesus wanted and this is I think something of the mystery and the wonder of the gospel when Jesus wanted to spread and share the heart of the father to the rest of the world he called forth a bunch of very flawed men, all shaped by the sin of Adam. And he laid down his life to redeem them. And, in turn, he called them to go out and lay down their lives for others so that the whole world might be redeemed through the work of the last Adam. We are all, men and women, all of us, are called to grow into the image of Christ. All of us. We are called to become Christ-like. Men especially are called to a Christ-like life. We are called to a radical new lifestyle in total contrast to the arrogant, power-seeking, self-serving masculinity that is commonly described today as the patriarchy. It was through our fellow man, Adam, 
that sin and death came into the world. We are now called, and I'm speaking particularly to us men now, we are called by our Saviour Jesus, the last Adam, to step up to the plate. And through his transforming work in our lives, to model the true manhood that God the Father sent his Son into the world to reveal to us. Now, of course, men and women are called into this great calling. But it's become my conviction, I believe in line with the Scriptures, that men have a greater responsibility. As I said at the beginning, I believe Adam had the greater responsibility for obedience at the beginning, although both disobeyed. It is now to us, guys, to have the greater responsibility to redeem the loss that Adam lost for us. Does that make any sense to you? So my appeal to you Christian women is this. Please don't be anti-man. We do find, honestly, we find it hard to cope with. You might laugh, but I genuinely believe that's the case. Pray for us that we will become like Jesus. Taking our unique, special and proper place in his kingdom. I'm going to stop there. I, I, I had a lot more and that's where I said I, I kind of took on more than I could chew. There is just one thought I'm going to leave with you. Two thoughts. I'll, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> Mark 10. We think about the patriarchy. Okay, Jesus, I think, really wonderfully described the patriarchy. Mark 10. After the request of James and John, you know, James and John, can we sit on your right and on your left? Da, 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 da. Typical men. Uh, so Mark 10, we're looking at uh, well, verse 42. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And of course, they're men. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That was the challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples to image him and to follow him. The second thought was this, as I was reflecting on all of this, and this is, again, uh, I think, you know, maybe it's a life group thing you, you can follow up on time. I, I, it kind of came to me, God as Father throughout Scripture, Jesus imaging the Father, there's another metaphor in the Bible that is used, which is, I think, a powerful commentary on this, and it's God as shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then Jesus said of himself, I am the good shepherd. And as I thought about the qualities of the shepherd, I thought, you know, those are also the qualities of a godly man and a godly father. And it helps me to understand what Jesus wants me to be like in my life. 
I had a flawed father, but I respected him because I, I remember very clearly on more than one occasion he came to me and said, I'm sorry I got that wrong. And I respected him for it. You see, he wasn't perfect, he was flawed. But he was willing to take that lower place to humble himself. And I think he revealed himself to be more of a man by doing that. And uh, I'm looking at my daughter here. <laughs> I've been a flawed father too. But I'm so glad that I've got a lovely daughter. And I'm very proud of her. Fathers, we need to make sure our children know that. Father in heaven. Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Thank you, Father. You took the initiative. You didn't sit back, but you sent your son into this world to be our saviour. Jesus, you came to show us the Father. And you showed us what the Father was like by going all the way to the cross. You walked towards it you knew that's why you came. You laid down your life for our salvation. Help us. Help all of us. And I pray especially for us blokes, Lord, that you will help us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus knowing that he walks with us in the way to encourage us and to strengthen us and to guide us so that in the end we might hear his well done, good and faithful servants. As we come to communion now and as we remember how Jesus his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. Lord, I pray that something of his character will transform our lives to live godly lives in Christ Jesus day by day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.